Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Good morning, church. Would you go with me in your copy of the scriptures to Psalm 67? This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 67. I invite you to go there with me in your Bibles. We are including this message in our series, Five Distinctives at Grace. This is a series that we return to often because we want to always keep before our church the the main things, the, the core essential truths about who we are and what we believe. These are things that mark us as a body of believers and cause us to be set apart, to be distinct from the world. Uh, This fits with our fifth distinctive, purposeful disciple-making, that we want to see disciples, followers of Christ, made, equipped here locally and globally. Now, last time I was up here preaching, uh, we studied Acts chapter 28, and we saw Paul's great missionary purpose. Just, uh, just to re- refresh, where have we been kind of in this series of five distinctives? Paul says, Acts 28, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. That's Paul. That was his great missionary aim. The Gentiles, the, the peoples, the nations, they're going to hear of God's salvation, and they're going to listen. Even more recently, we've, we've been through in our study in Revelation, now pastor-wise, leading us through uh, John's heavenly throne room vision, Revelation 4, Revelation 5. We just looked at the section where this, this pronouncement happens. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is a, this is a global, this is, this is what we mean by five, the purposeful disciple making. That we believe there are people from all the nations that their voice needs to be added to the praise of our God. And so we are committed to that as a church. So this this heavenly view that we've just gone through in Revelation 5 is is overwhelmingly glorious. And this truth is not just for Revelation, but it's really throughout the whole of the Bible. It's most clearly seen, of course, in Jesus Christ and his saving work on the cross and the gospel. But the Old Testament is, is preparing God's people for the coming of Christ, the saving work of Christ, the, the worship of the Lamb in Revelation. So today, we're going to look back at the Old Testament, we're going to look at the Psalms, and from our time in this text, we should have a sharper, more beautiful view of God and to worship Him supremely. That's that's the goal for today. So let's give a little background to the Psalms, okay? The Psalms were a collection of poems, songs, prayers for the people of God. This was like a songbook for God's people, and really it still is today. We may not sing every song uh, set to the exact rhythm or melody that they would have in, in Old Testament Israel, but the truth of what's here in the Psalms does indeed shape our worship. Because it's truth about God. 
The Psalms cover a whole range of human emotions and experiences. And they do so to help God's people. Think about this. We, we take our thoughts, our feelings, our experiences, and we see that all kind of laid out in the different Psalms, and it should cause us to cast our eyes heavenward, cast our eyes to look to God through this life. And it's worth knowing that the Psalms are inspired Scripture. We believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, for our good. So um, one commentator said of the Psalms here, uh, the Psalms are not spontaneous, a random collection of free verses of poetry written for a singular occasion. No, they are carefully crafted liturgies written for recurring typical human needs and for the service of worship. That's the ancient, ancient prayer and hymn book for the people of God. So let's, let's now, with that kind of backdrop in mind, we're going to look at Psalm 67 together. Follow along with me. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. Well, actually, first there's a little heading here that this, the psalmist includes. Psalm 67, to the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray as we prepare now to look at this psalm. Father in heaven, Lord, we just take this psalm and we offer it as worship to you this morning. We want to praise you and we pray that all the nations would praise you. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Lord, bless us in this time. Be gracious to me. Be gracious to us as your people. That as your word is opened, Lord, you would increase our worship, increase our love and devotion to you. And Lord, may that worship shine clearly through us to all nations. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so this is Psalm 67. A little bit more backdrop before we really dive in. Psalm, uh, Psalm 65 to 67 are sometimes referred to as universal psalms. And that's because they contain universal or all-encompassing language. Here's a few examples. You can uh, probably turn back just one page uh, in your Bibles, maybe to, uh, to Psalm 65. Look at this with me, Psalm 65 and verse 5. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, here's, here's the universal language, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Now I'll turn back into the page, look at Psalm 66, verse 1, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Verse 4, all the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And then, of course, Psalm 67. So that's what I mean by universal, kind of all-encompassing language. The, the earth, the nations are in mind here. 
One more note before we really just dive in more closely to Psalm 67. Lots of notes this morning. Uh, you may have noticed I skipped over the word Selah. Uh, comes, it occurs twice in Psalm 67 and over 70 times throughout the whole uh, book of Psalms. Selah is a unique little word. It's, it's a transliteration of the exact Hebrew just put right into English. And its meaning is unclear, uh, uncertain what it means exactly. Um, likely it was a musical term or a grammatical term meaning to indicate pause or stop for a moment for various reasons. We don't know for sure, but it would likely function in our, in our kind of present day uh, equivalent, would function like a, a rest measure in music or like a period at the end of a sentence. So uh, as you're going through reading the Psalms, you can maybe pause. Um, don't think you have to necessarily read it out loud. That's, you can study that out uh, more on, on your own time. Now, to, let's get to the aim of this message. Uh, I, have a, I have a goal in mind, as I want to prove today one point. The point, what is the main point of Psalm 67? I'm going to offer it to you, then I'm going to try and prove it, and then we're going to apply it. So here, here's the proposition. The more exalted our view of God, the more expansive our aim will be in global missions. That's, that's what I believe is the main point in this psalm. And my aim in the next few minutes, hopefully a few minutes, is to uh, prove that point. And if it's indeed proved, then how do we apply it? So the more exalted, the higher we view God, the more expansive our aim should be in global missions. So let's, now let's, let's see if we can unpack this together. First, uh, the truth of God fuels our worship. This is, this is how we get an exalted view of God. We need to fill our hearts, fill our minds with the truth of God, and that will fuel our worship. So let, let's see if we can build this out from Psalm 67. God's truth fuels our worship. Let's first consider God's character. Okay, God's character. We'll remember his character. Let's just begin. Look at how the psalmist begins here. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Simply, God is gracious. We could, let's never forget that. God is gracious. The psalmist begins this, uh, this congregational song with an appeal to God. It's a prayer. God, be gracious. May you be gracious to us. He's asking on behalf of the people, God, would you bless us today? He does so with the full mind of God, uh, full character of God in mind. This is the first, first truth we see. God is gracious. Now, if you rewind all the way back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 to get a real full picture of why I believe he begins with God is gracious and why we can never, ever forget the grace of God. So remember, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, God makes humanity, and they are tempted by Satan in the, will, in the, the garden there, the serpent, and in that moment of temptation, Adam and Eve, they take the eat of the tree that God expressly told them, you're not to eat of this tree. And in doing so, they committed cosmic rebellion against God. And cosmic rebellion deserves justice, deserves judgment. The penalty for sin is death. And yet God, in his grace, he did not immediately obliterate Adam and Eve, though he, was just to, he could have been just to do so. 
He leaves them alive. And in fact, he doesn't just leave them alive. He, he takes an animal and covers their nakedness, their shame, providing a picture, even all the way back in Genesis 1 to there's going to be a time when someone will die that our sin might be covered. They're anticipating this. So the grace of God is, was fully known. Full, that was part of the fabric, the DNA of God's people in uh, Israel, the Old Testament. They knew God is gracious. And here the psalmist is simply crying out in a worshipful way, God, be gracious to me. God, would you be gracious to us? Would you give favor to your covenant people? The Lord made a promise to his people, a, a commitment to be with his people as Abraham. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. When God makes a covenant, he never goes back on it or breaks it. So God, he, he just is remembering God's gracious character. Well, what do we mean by grace? We mean the undeserved favor of God. The positive, favorable, loving disposition of God toward us. It's his mercy. That God doesn't treat us the way our sins deserve, but instead by his grace, he lovingly transforms us. God is gracious. And we also see here that God loves to bless his people. He says, be gracious and bless us. So here's where some of these Old Testament themes that by the time they're building this song book, they would be familiar with. They'd be familiar with God's grace. Uh, we would consider Genesis chapter 12, when God takes Abram and says, I'm going to bless you and make a people for you out of your offspring. Uh, God blesses Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and to your kindred, to your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. You might want to underline this phrase here at the end. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. So think about this for a moment. Israel, the Old Testament Israel, they would have remembered God planned, set us apart as a people to bless us to be favorable to us, not because we deserve it, but so that the blessing of God would be shared to all the families of the earth. Now, spoiler alert here, Paul would, would later take this same section, Genesis 12, and apply it to Jesus Christ in, Re in Romans 4. That he would say that through Jesus Christ, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed because they can in Jesus Christ can be found salvation and forgiveness of sins. Now, Israel, they, they didn't know all the realization of that yet, but they anticipated it. So they, they're recognizing God loves to bless his people. And maybe you, you recognize this, uh, that this, this verse 1, God bless us, make his face to shine upon us, is also a reference to the blessing of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, verse 24 and number 6, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So, these Old Testament references are significant for a few reasons. First, 
They're serving to remind, so by the time they're singing this in Psalm 67, they are reminding themselves, they're reminding the congregation of God's character and His faithfulness in the past. And this also would serve for the people to remember to approach God on His terms, who God is. In effect, they would be, they're singing, they're, they're remembering, God, this is who you are. This is how you've revealed yourself to us. And because of this, we sing praise to you. We worship you. God is absolutely glorious and holy. That's what this, this little phrase the end, to make his face to shine upon us. Literally, this, this, this word shine means to a blazing, bright, burning fire. It's the, it's the brightness of his glory. And also, it's the, the smile of his countenance that God's grace, he, he would smile upon us, look upon his people in a favorable, loving way. It's, it is indicating of God's holiness, his glory, and his loving kindness. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain, he, he was with uh, the Lord on the mountain, receiving the Ten Commandments. Exodus 34, Moses comes down, and his face was shining because he had been with God. And the people said, whoa, too bright, man. Put, on a, put a cover up. Yikes. We're not ready for that. That's the Old Testament. They were anticipating it, but they didn't realize it fully, what all was going on. This is representative of God's glory. This part of the psalm recognizes God's beauty and his glory, and it also reminds us to rest in God's loving, gracious presence. This is, we're reminded of God's character. Uh, this also, uh, if we're going to think about worship in light of this psalm, we're to remember God's purposes and salvation. So look at, uh, look at this, this uh, there's a purpose, purpose clause here. So you have verse 1, God, you're glorious, you're gracious, God bless us. Why? Well, verse 2 says it, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So what do we do with this? There's a purpose for this blessing from God. It's that God bless us so that your way would be known on earth. The psalmist is asking for God's blessing, not for the sake of the blessing itself, but for the greater renown of God's name in the earth. Amen. Is that how we think about blessings? And when we come before the Lord in prayer, he loves to hear our prayers. He loves to hear our needs, and we are taught by Christ himself. Ask, come to the Father. What do you need? He'll be gracious to hear us. But even this psalm reminds us that every blessing that God gives us is not to just hide the blessing. It's also used to show and shine forth God's grace. So he says, God, would your way be known on earth? That's, uh, that means here God's, uh, God's design for godly living, and it also is reflective of God's reign and rule in the earth. It's, there's one way that's right. It's God's way. This should cause us to remember Psalm 1, and you might just want to write that down uh, in your notes, look back at it, um, just for sake of time, we, we better not get into another psalm, so jot that down, read it this afternoon before the Super Bowl, Psalm 1, okay? God's way is the blessed way, and I'll, I'll leave you to search that out. So this way, this word also reflects God's power or rule. 
The psalmist is asking God that he would carry out his sovereign dominion in all the earth. He's asking that God's sovereignty be known by experience. God, we want your way to be known on earth, and we want God's saving power to be experienced by all the nations. When you, when you see this phrase, saving power, this should, this should maybe call, call, recall in our mind Romans 1.16, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. So here the psalmist is worshiping God, the, this, the worshiping the one true and living God, because he is a God, the only God who saves. There's none like him. There's no one else with the power to save. If we have been saved by God, if you have experienced God's grace and his saving power in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have, hear me, we have the greatest reason to worship. I've been saved. God has added me to his people. God saved a whole people for himself that they might worship him and serve him with joy forever. Isn't this, this is worship of God, and this is truth. And doesn't this just fuel our worship as we're looking at this text? This is, this is, uh, this is what God's truth does for us. It fuels our worship. God had, God had always intended Old Testament Israel to be a light for the Gentiles among the nations. Israel's worship of the Lord was uh, both exclusive and invitational at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. Israel was to worship the one true God. That's the Lord. Exodus 20, 2 and 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The worship of God is exclusive. But Israel, because of their wholehearted exclusive worship to the Lord, they were to be a shining example of God's grace to the nations, of, their, of the salvation of God. And this is what the Lord says of Israel in Isaiah 49. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up, raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49, 6. So there's two things going on at the same time. Israel's to worship God alone. And in their worship of God alone, they were to be a clear beacon to there's one God who saves and the nations need to know it. So that, that, that's their worship. Israel was to worship God in such a way that the nations, they should see, come and see the one true and living God. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot here already. But in this text, Psalm 67, we should see now how the truth of God fuels our worship. This is how we have an exalted view of God. We fill our minds, we fill our hearts with his truth. Now, if I've made that case, let's follow to the second point here. If it's true, and I believe that it is, I believe we've seen this now, that the, worship, the truth of God fuels our worship. That's an exalted view of God. Secondly, the worship of God focuses our mission. This is, how do we get an expanded aim in global missions? Let's see if we can piece the rest of this together. So we've seen here this, this high view of God in worship, 
That's verses 1 and 2. Now notice the next thing that happens in this psalm. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The range of missions is absolutely wide. Look at these, there's words that come all throughout this psalm. On earth, peoples, nations, ends of the earth. This indicates a wide range of influence. Now, words like these, this is so interesting as I was studying this. Uh, these words are similar in their meaning in that they are referencing groups of people. Groups, whether that's by language or by culture or by their ge uh, geography. There's little nuances to the words here. But all of these words are, uh, they indicate a reference to non-Israelite peoples or lands or languages. So what does that mean? It means that God was planning for the Gentiles to be included in his great salvation. And to that we should say, Amen. Amen. And we can say that because that's you and I, all of us, we're Gentiles, we're, we're not in the category of Israel. And yet also, there is a, we should feel a growing desire in our hearts for, yes, and what about those who have not yet heard of this God? It's, this is, it's, it's that invitational range of missions. God was planning for the Gentiles to be included in his salvation. So this is why I would say the range of missions is wide, and the, the goal of missions is to worship the one true and living God. So here, here's, here's why I would say that. Well, it's right here in the text. The peoples, nations, language groups, what are you supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you. The psalm says it. Praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Hey, didn't we just sing that? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And then it repeats again, let the peoples praise you, O God. So we've, we've said it already. God, from the very beginning, planned to prepare to save a people from among all peoples. That they would be devoted to him, that they would worship him, and be totally satisfied in Christ. Now, there's some unique structure to this psalm, the, this, uh, the poetic language here. This psalm kind of goes full circle. It begins kind of where it ends. So verses 1 and 2 go together with verses 6 and 7 at the end, where it begins, God be gracious and bless us, make your face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. Now skip, look at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. Yes, God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. They, they're, they're serving the same thing. It's their parallel. And also, verses 3 and 5, well, those are exact repetitions. That's another layer of this psalm has a crescendo in it, and it should cause us to focus most intentionally on the one verse that stands out. It's verse 4. The whole entirety of the psalm is pointing to verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy because, God, you judge the peoples with equity. So let, let's just unpack this for just a moment. 
When the psalmist here says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, this is worship of the highest degree. The worship of God should produce the highest joy in the life of God's people. This joy should overflow into everything we do in our lives and with our lives. Vocation, job, family discipleship, all of it comes as a response to God's, his glory, and his salvation. So the nations here, they are to sing and be glad in God, that is, in and under his rule. The Lord is the only true and righteous judge. That's the, the, another psalm says that the, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So here, when you see this word judge, you see this word guide in verse 4. It is reference to God's reigning, God's ruling. He is the high king, and there's none like him. God will judge all peoples and all nations, and his judgment is absolutely right. So one of the ways that the nations would be glad and sing for joy in that judgment, that rule of God is when they come under, they submit themselves under the righteous, sovereign rule of God. Well, how are they going to do that if they never hear the gospel? How will the nations be glad and sing for joy and submit themselves joyfully under the rule of God if no one ever takes the gospel to them or even worse, if the gospel, God's word, is never even translated into their language. Think about it. God's justice and judgment is not like our own that's corrupted or swayed by bribery or promises of power. No, the psalmist says that the Lord judges the peoples with equity. Pause for a minute. Equity here in the Bible is very different from the way the word equity is used today. Today is often in reference to equality of outcomes, that everyone gets evened out, everything gets balanced and redistributed, often is what is meant by that word, but not according to Scripture. When the Bible uses this word, it means righteous, straight, the opposite of crooked. It refers to a righteous lifestyle, a safe and unobstructed path. It means that when God judges, he judges rightly. There will be no underhanded misuse of power and authority by God. God will judge the nations, and the nations will say it is good. Now, realize for just a moment that the only thing that separates you and I from the nations is the grace of God. That I absolutely deserve the judgment of God and so do you but he's been gracious to me and his son he's been gracious to us through Christ and so here the psalmist is worshiping God and praying that other peoples would come and worship this God for who he is he's righteous he's just he's true his ways are always good and best so let's now take a moment let's recap where have we been We've seen first how the truth of God fuels our worship, that we should have an exalted view of God in light of this text. And we also should now see that the worship of God focuses our mission. This is how we have an expanded aim in global missions, that all the nations ought to come under the right rule of God, joyfully so, by submitting to Him and His ways. 
all people groups, all languages, all nations, all cultures. Now, we just think back for a moment to that proposition. The more exalted our view in God, the more expanded our aim will be in global missions. And can we look at this text and say, yeah, I see that in the text. So now, in the time that remains, I want to apply this truth. And you'll see this number three. We're going to apply scripture to our lives personally, to our church corporately. Let's just think about this together. An exalted view of God leads to an expanded aim in global missions. Let's apply it. First, let's think about as individuals. As an individual, does this psalm describe my view of worship, your view of worship? Here's where, let's do a little heart check. In light of this psalm, how's my worship? If perhaps you're here this morning and you're discouraged, downtrodden, going through a trial or difficulty, does this truth here in this psalm, does this warm our hearts to worship? It, it absolutely should. And I pray that even this morning that God would work that in our hearts, that our worship would be, our hearts would be warmed in light of who he is. Now, perhaps this morning you're here and you're not a worshiper of this God. It's the God who made you and created you to worship him. My prayer would be that God would open your heart and mind right now that you would see this God for who he is and worship him alone. That you would turn to him in repentance and faith. Amen. This, so first, this truth should, should really mark our worship individually, first off. That's an application. Oh, by the way, there, there could be a dozen applications of this psalm. I think I picked out three or four. So um, that just let's, we'll note that at the outset here. So first, this should apply to us personally in our worship. Just describe our view of worship. Now, secondly, let's think about this psalm in light of our own nation for just a moment. Realize that our nation, the one we live in right now, needs this message of joy and judgment. It must be said that our nation, our culture, has all but thrown away God, His Word, and His righteousness standard for truth and morality. We've traded it, as a culture at least, for what feels good, the idolization of self-expression, worship of pleasure or money or fill-in, the murder of the preborn, fill-in-the-blank. Now understand that this is all of our hearts without God's grace, that we all deserve God's judgment. This message is totally relevant for our nation today, that judgment is coming God's judgment is deserved, but now I must tell you about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like me and like you and amongst all the nations. And God the Father has appointed a day in which Jesus Christ will judge everyone of every nation, the living and the dead. And our only hope, our only way to true joy is to turn to him to surrender to his right rule, to trust in him, give our lives to him in worship, and serve him wherever he wills. This is the good news that answers this, this judgment 
that yes, we deserve God's judgment, but in Christ, the judgment that we deserve, he has borne it in our place in his body on the tree. Do you know Jesus Christ? This is, this is why we would go to the nations and tell them a message of great joy, because there's one in whom they can find forgiveness of sins. John 5, Jesus says, For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that they may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Jesus Christ ought to be worshipped. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is the way to, this is the way, uh, he finishes, he who he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So here's the, here's the answer. Here's the remedy to our own nation. Yes, recognize we fall under this category of we need God's judgment. We deserve it. And yet, in Christ, when we turn from our sin and trust in him, we pass from judgment to eternal life. That's the hope. That, that's, that is, that's the message we're taking to the nations, and that's the, the message that will bring great joy to the nations. And Jesus, uh, Paul says in Acts 17, Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands everyone, all peoples everywhere, to repent. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus. How do we know this is going to happen, Paul? Of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. So, understand this applies to us as a nation, and now let's make one more application as a church. As a church, does this ca characterize our approach to evangelism and missions? Understand, the worship of God is brought about through the proclamation of the gospel. I'm going to say that again. The worship of God is brought about through the proclamation of the gospel. That's the church's responsibility. The only way that anyone has a change of worship is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel is both the news of judgment, our rebellion against God, and also it is the news of God making a way for sinners to be restored into a right relationship with him. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed for me, for you, and for all who would turn from their sin and trust in him. And this message, empowered by the Holy Spirit, changes hearts, and that changes who we worship. So the gospel is absolutely central. The church is responsible for leading the worship of God and seeing disciples made. Israel, we, we briefly touched on that. Israel's main worship was come and see. God, they, we, they would worship and the people would, ought to come to them and see. That was Israel. But for the church, our worship and our mission is go and tell the nations. That's what G, that was the whole Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jot that one down. We, we won't get to that one. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. In this psalm, we have seen the worship of God and the joy of the nations. And as believers and uh, as a church, we make it our aim to see disciples made where they have never heard of Jesus. Realize something. Only the hard places are left, by the way. The humanly impossible places uh, roughly 3.2 billion peoples who speak languages, live in areas of culture and geography that are humanly impossible 
to get to as a Christian. All the hard nations, all the hard places are the only ones that are left, but there is an absolute need. Opposition is high. And even just think about why would we, why would we send our, our pastor around the globe if we didn't have this kind of view of God and this kind of view of missions, right? So what do we do? Persecution is real. Opposition is high. Well, verse 4 tells us what to do. Let the nations be glad. So let's go. It's that simple. Go tell the nations of the greatest news. Go and reach the peoples that they might have their greatest joy. Go for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we say, yes, I say go. Uh, as a church, we also send we support, we will plant churches, we will send missionaries, we will send you, we'll send whoever will go because Jesus is worthy. And one more thing we need to note about this psalm. The Lord will bless his people and his mission will be complete. Look at verse 6 and 7. So the psalmist ends with this refrain of God's blessing. But this time, it's in a different tense. He puts it in the past tense. He says the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. He's using this past tense language to indicate that in the mind of the psalmist, this is guaranteed. So he ends with, just let that statement sit and just sink in. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's a call to worship. It's a call to listen up, everyone, revere, worship, pay homage to this God, the Lord, the one true and living God. He will be worshipped. So I can't think of a better place to end this message than with this. Now, it's, it's very possible that uh, Old Testament Israel, the, the psalmist may have had in mind, like uh, is similar to other psalms of thanksgiving, an actual harvest. It was harvest time that God literally provided for them the food that they needed another season. The earth yields its increase. But at the same time, perhaps already is, is called to mind the spiritual language that Jesus uses in reference to harvest. A spiritual harvest of worshipers. Jesus says in Matthew 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Go, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So just think for a moment here as we close that when here the psalmist says the earth has yielded its increase, we can rest in the full confidence and Jesus himself says that the harvest is plentiful. The earth is ready to be harvested, a harvest of worshipers, to worship our God. But we must go. As a church, we will go, we will give, we will send, and we must pray. We must pray. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, I, I want one more thing. One more thing. Um, 
the next time we think about missions, the next time we think about our missionary partners, we, we, pu we publish their prayer needs regularly on those little sheets of paper. We pray regularly for our missionary partners. We reference and read and are mindful of the Great Commission regularly. The next time you, you see a missionary a post or their picture or we read Matthew 28, I want Psalm 67 to be recalled in our minds. That when we think Great Commission, when we think purposeful disciple making, locally, globally, followers of Christ, I want us as a church, let this DNA, let this be our Praise, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let's let this truth meditate our hearts and mark our aim and missions for our lifetime as a church and generations and generations from now till all the nations worship our God. Amen? Amen. So, summary here. An exalted view of God leads to an expanded aim in global missions. The truth of God fuels our worship. The worship of God focuses our mission. And here, this is a truth like all scripture. We must apply it to our lives personally and corporately today. So, in light of this message, in light of this text, Lord, here's a prayer. Lord, use me. You say, Lord, use us as a church to take the gospel to all nations by, let's pray about it, let's fill in some blanks. God, use us. Uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we've just, seems like we've drank through a fire hydrant, the truth and the, the study of this psalm this morning. So Lord, would you take this truth and press it into our hearts in a way that we remember it, the way that we apply it, and God, above all things, let, let this text give us great worship, that we would worship you highly and exalted forever and ever. Lord, I pray that you would use us as a church to continue to be a Great Commission church, that you would use each and every one of us, every person here, that we would see lives transformed by the gospel through turning from sin and trusting in Christ today. And I pray that you would use every person, or use me, use us to take the gospel where it's never been heard before. And then, Lord, I pray as a church, you would use us to strengthen every missionary partner that we have, that they put their hand to the plow, that they're working, laboring in the hardest places where persecution is great. God, strengthen them. Let the, let the nations be glad and sing for joy through their labor in your harvest field today. Oh, God, the, the need is great. Your grace is greater. So we cry out to you. Lord, use us, use me. Oh God, let the nations be glad and sing for joy today. And Lord, may we sing for joy today as we worship you. God, thank you for every grace and thank you for your son, our firm foundation for life in Christ. Thank you, thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. 
we want you to always remember that you are loved.